Are we feeling better, worse, or the same about Michigan State season after just one game on the year? Also, Mel Tucker spoke to the media, and I'm sorry, guys, but Keon Coleman is making us talk about him, basically. Let's go. You are Locked On Spartans, your daily podcast on the Michigan State Spartans, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Today's episode is brought to you by Bird Dogs. Go to birddogs.com slash lockedoncollege or enter promo code lockedoncollege for a free water bottle with any purchase. You won't want to take your bird dogs off, we promise you. And I have not taken off my smile from the celebration of Friday night's win over Central Michigan at Spartan Stadium. That's right, suck it, Chippewas. We showed you. Uh, But no, it's been all good vibes here this Labor Day weekend. I hope it has been just as great for you as well. If you ever want to reach out, LockedOnSpartans at gmail.com. I'm your host, Matt Sheehan. If you ever want to yell at me, well, there's the email. And on Twitter, Sheehan underscore sports. It's a hoot and a half on there. Uh, Before going any further, please rate, review, and subscribe. Especially if you're in a good mood today. You want to smash that five-star rating. Go ahead. Don't don't let me stop you. All right, let's get into the show here. And I'm basically using a co-producer for this show. And it's a friend of the program. He goes by the name of MSU Chief of Propaganda on Twitter, Odell Bretham Jr. He's been on this program many a time. Great guy. Love my man Brett. Very simple question, though, but important question and really getting the pulse of the fan base. He writes, how are you feeling about MSU football after game one? Better, worse, or no change? 2,018 people voted. So that's a pretty healthy chunk of the fan base right there. No change at 43.8%. Better, 35.2%. And worse, 21%. So... No change, eking out to a small victory by a nose there, better just behind, and then it's not like worse was 40 lengths behind in this hypothetical horse race that I'm now making this. Um, You can make an argument for all three, and I really wrestled with this too because this was tweeted out about two days ago, and right when I clicked on it, I said, no change. And then a day goes by, and then a day and a half goes by, and you know what, guys? I I swear I'm not looking at this through my green-tinted sunglasses, and you know where I'm going with this. I have to say, I think I'm feeling better about the course of the season ahead for Michigan State after just one game against a middling Mac opponent at home. I know this is kind of ridiculous to take this much out of it, but I really am more confident in Michigan State's season moving forward after Game 1. Now, I think it's good to preface it with this. I've always thought Michigan State was going to have a 6-6 or 7-5 season. That right there shows you where my expectations were going into the season. If I was thinking like 9-3, and three, n- no, they, they did not match 9-3 and three expectations. So I think it's important that I state where I came into the season. 6-6 six and six or 7-5. and five. Yeah, that's that's a kind of a big number, even though it's just one win. 6-6 six and six is a lot different than 7-5, and five, but still, that's kind of the range I was at. However, I still think that Michigan State can be the 6-6 six and 7-5 six and and team, I'm just more confident in that prediction now. Confident that they are going to go bowling this season. I think we saw a lot of good things. Plenty of what we talked about on Friday's show. 
no doubt. Really strong defensive line play. Now, Simeon Barrow is everything that you expect him to be week one against a group of five opponent. Derek Harmon solid as well. Zion Yun, my goodness gracious, that man is a dog. The secondary looks solid, and we will talk more about those guys because maybe we've neglected them a little bit here in our post-game coverage after the Central game. Uh, Nathan Carter, 6.2 yards per carry. We thought he could be an instant impact guy. He showed us all that on Friday night. Noah Kim, strong game. That's why we kicked off the post-game show with Friday. It's just, you know, after a slow start, how strong he finished that game. He's going to be a plus player for Michigan State. And also, well, how about the guy that he, or the guys, plural, I should say, that he is throwing the ball to these young receivers, Jaron Glover, Tyrell Henry, Christian Fitzpatrick. N not a bad debut from that trio right there. It's, just, I'm not, it's not just me saying this. It's not just me, you know, Mr. Slappy Michigan State fan saying that. No, no, no. We are going to mosey on over to Twitter by way of PFF Pro Football Focus because Al Karsten, all right, he is on Twitter. He tweeted out a bunch of PFF grades for Michigan State. So go follow Al Karsten. Big Alfredo Sauce is his name on Twitter. But he is going to set the outline us for the rest of the segment as to why we feel a little better about this season. And we're going to kick it off with Noah Kim. He writes, MSU quarterback Noah Kim recorded an 85.6 PFF offensive grade in Week 1, which is 17th best in the country and 4th in the Big Ten. Also writes that Kim had five what they call big-time throws, which were the second most in NCAA and the first amongst power five teams. His adjusted depth of throw was 12.2, which is 23rd in the country, but also adds more context to that. What, what do all those numbers mean? other than just being top four in the Big Ten. As far as Michigan State program track record goes, what does that mean? Al Karsten, our man over here, he adds this. The last time MSU had more than three big-time throws in one game was week six of 2021. Go ahead, jog your brain, try to think of what game that was. I have the answer. It was the air raid game in Piscataway when Jalen Naylor had 800 yards and 17 touchdowns against Rutgers. It's been that long since there are that many big-time throws. Now, what's a big-time throw? The way Pro Football Focus defines it, it's a combination of depth of throw, precision, timing, all that stuff. These are the guys that watch the games. These are football experts. They grade the games, and they love what they saw from Noah Kim. But best of all, not just Noah Kim over at PFF. Al Carson writes, MSU had three wide receivers graded in the Big Ten's top ten in overall wide receiver grades. Tyra Henry, fourth best in the Big Ten with a 79.8. And then Christian Fitzpatrick and Jerron Glover were both 9 and 10. Not a lot of catches from those guys. Actually, the top pass catcher for the week was Jalen Berger with just four catches. But that's to be expected as there's a lot, a lot of um, parity in the wide receiver room still with a lot of guys competing for snaps. But safe to say that uh, Jerron Glover, he made his catches count. Christian Fitzpatrick made his two catches count with 70 yards. And then Tyrell Henry, I mean, with that one-handed grab in the end zone, it's safe to say that's probably worth 20 points in pro football focus. That is a big-time catch from Tyrell Henry. We're going to give love to the offensive line here as well because there was two offensive tackles at place in the top 10 of the conference as well. Spencer Brown, 75.1. Ethan Boyd, 69.9 as well. And then we are going to switch sides of the field really quick. Jacoby Winman. Still still shining all right, on, on defense early on in the season, just like he did last year, except... 
and obviously different position playing linebacker now. Al Carson writes, MSU linebacker Jacoby Winman recorded an 83.6 PFF defensive grade in week one, which was the sixth best linebacker grade in the country and numero Uno in the Big Ten. Tops in the Big Ten. Uh, two defensive stops, one snap, no completions allowed. Just did great on running defense, like how we expect our linebackers to do between him and Cal Halliday. It's all gravy here from PFF. So, with that said, I mean, I, I know Michigan State still has a tough schedule <laughs> coming up ahead. Because there, there's some bad news here. Uh, Washington, they looked Every bit of unstoppable on offense uh, that you could possibly look. Against Boise State, I get it. Another group of five team. But we know what to expect uh, with Michael Penix and his stable of receivers over there. Ohio State, I, I get it. They did not look great on offense. It, uh-oh. Didn't look too flashy against Indiana. However, their defense still looks incredible. And I think that's something that's overlooked by a lot of State fans, myself included sometimes, is, uh, hey, yeah, we get dummied on defense against the Buckeyes. These games are 56-0 to at halftime, it feels like. And we all look at that number of, oh my God, Stroud put up how many passing yards on us? Marvin Harrison Jr. had how many offensive highlights that are going to be shown during his draft day? But we never talk about how Michigan State fails to score against Ohio State as well. So unfortunately, their defense still looks pretty good. Michigan looks like Michigan against a pedestrian East Carolina team. And then Penn State, you know, unfortunately... Um, Drew Aller looks like him. However, we're going to leave this segment on a good note here. One more piece of confidence for the rest of the year. There were more than just those four teams I named that also played this weekend, and it was Minnesota and Nebraska. And, oh, did they both look like they were trying to have a contest for who could look the ugliest on week one, and they almost both somehow won both teams on Michigan State's schedule. Wasn't feeling too great about that Minnesota game. It is on the road. And let's not get it twisted. I know that teams can look different, you know, weeks, months down the line from what they look like in week one. But that's a good place to start for the Gophers and the Huskers if you're a Michigan State fan who has both those teams on the schedule. Gang, we will be back here in a hot second. Just need to talk your ear off about Bird Dog Shorts, the best shorts and pants in the game. Let me tell you about my Friday. Wake up, go golfing. All right, it is fantastic. I go tailgating. I go to the game. I wake up Saturday. I go to the farm with the little tyke. I do some errands, and you already know where this is going. I did it all in the bird dogs. It was fantastic. They are the most versatile short in the game. And as great as you feel wearing the bird dogs. And yes, of course, I got the ones with the liner on the inside. It's like wearing a compression short 24-7, but not one that's too tight. As good as they feel on you, you are going to look even better. They are appropriate for golf, for playing in the water with your little tyke, or taking a swim, or doing some errands, or just chopping a tree down. Do whatever you want to do in your bird dogs, but don't go without smashing in this promo code before you make your order. Go to birddogs.com slash locked on college or enter promo code locked on college at checkout. That's all one word for a free bird dogs water bottle with your order. That's birddogs.com slash locked on college for a free water bottle at checkout. You will not want to take your bird dogs off. We promise you. All right, let's get back into the mix here, talking Michigan State football, as we do here five days a week at Locked on Spartans. I want to talk about the secondary here for a little bit before we get into Mel Tucker's press conference, because we talked a lot after Friday's game. A lot of good, some bad, and then a whole lot of random. That's how we format our post-game shows. 
really did not hit on the secondary as much as I should have. So I would like to apologize to the uh, the Spencer family, the Gross family, the Brantley family, the Tatum family. Just really anyone that is tangentially related to anyone in the secondary because, yeah, God, they did have a really solid game on Friday night. Yes, they let up the passing touchdown in the first half, maybe miscommunication, but it was touchdown. Not not touchdowns, plural, So, which was very exciting here for us Spartan fans. But let me tell you something. You could hear the thud on some of the hits that these guys were making, whether it was after a guy caught the ball or in the run-stopping game as well. Malik Spencer, incredibly, incredibly active out there. Nine tackles on the game. Angelo Gross, I thought, very strong in the run game. And that's something that I always thought Angelo Gross was pretty, pretty solid at last season. It, it was a little different of a year last year for him. I think he was a lot more injured than was led on to believe, and well, that kind of translated in the passing game. But it, you could always count on him to meet someone at the line of scrimmage and lay the wood down, and he did that with six tackles. Chuck Brantley, tackle for loss. He's he's still a really big hitter, which is something he's always been, even since his true freshman year. And then Dylan Tatum as well, true sophomore. I mean, that's another young kid. That's really stepped up and had a solid game against Central as well. But, man, between Spencer, Tatum, and even Jaden Mangum, sorry, I forgot to mention him, what a great young nucleus to have moving forward, not just this season, but seasons in the future. So, yeah, just had to shout out the secondary there because they needed more love than we gave them after the post game. Now, let's go over to East Lansing where Mel Tucker had his weekly press conference with the media, even on Labor Day. That's right. Keep chopping, media. I'm sorry. I mean, you guys are very uh, hardworking. You guys do great work for Michigan State's beat, but no day off for you on Labor Day, says Mel Tucker. Uh, now, Mel Tucker started with something that seems like a lie. Uh, he said, quote, Richmond is a really good team, Tucker said. He also said that MSU is preparing, quote, like crazy for Saturday. And uh, what else is he going to say, I guess? I'll shoot you straight here. I'll give you the real answer of how Richmond's doing. Incredibly underwhelming. And I know it's just one game, but they lost to Morgan State week one at home 10 to 17. And this is a Richmond team that were rated inside the top 24 FCS. And no, you can't take everything after just one game, but woo boy. Ooh, wow, uh, this could be a tough day for Richmond coming into East Lansing. But, hey, Tucker doing his due diligence, making sure he gets the quotes out there to make sure his team is not going to take any days off here during practice. Now, there is some banter, not just around East Lansing, but the entire college football landscape about these new rules that have been implemented into our Saturdays. And if you haven't heard... The biggest rule is that there is no clock stop after you get a first down. In the days of yore, uh, when there's black and white televisions, uh, you get the first down. The, the chain game gets a few seconds to move the chains, get set up, and then the clock starts again. That has been a hindrance on a few teams. And there was actually uh, a really good piece, I believe, on The Messenger is the website's name, about how Rutgers truly use this to their advantage in their game against Northwestern. Rutgers, in the first quarter, had the ball for more than 13 minutes. Would you like to guess how many possessions they had in the first quarter? Not even a full two possessions. They would run, get the first down, take their sweet time. It was just truly run, 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 like pass, run. They had a 16-play drive and just chewing up so much clock because you can now. Now, Mel Tucker was asked about this. If he thinks that it was an issue for him because 
there's been a fair share of coaches that are complaining about this, and rightfully so. You actually do have to change how you strategize a little differently depending on the opponent. Well, Mel Tucker said, quote, it didn't factor in very much this game. I didn't notice a difference. Is that true, Mel? So I actually went back and looked. Last year, Michigan State averaged a little over 64 plays per game. It was like 64.3 or something like that. On Friday, how many plays did Michigan State run? Well, would you look at that? It's 64. Pretty much the same exact amount of plays they had last year per game. So no, when Mel Tucker's saying that, I, I didn't notice any difference. He's being incredibly truthful. Now, last year, Michigan State's opponents, they had 71 plays per game on average. Friday night, the Chips just had 66 plays, so nothing too drastic. And, of course, this is the smallest sample size possible of just one game. But that is something interesting to see throughout the season. And you might see it with some teams that are underdogs, just trying to keep the ball as long as possible and just run immediately at the start of the game as if you're trying to chew off clock at the end of the game because that's just what the rules allow now. Now, why are these the rules? To shorten games, to make it more fan-friendly, or I could just talk to you like an adult and tell you the real reason, and it is to sell more commercials for these networks because the actual time of the game on television, not too far off than what it was before these rules have changed. So, shout-out networks, what a year you guys are having. Let's let's go to a piece of news that's actually not that great for Michigan State. I don't even know how to spin this one positively for Michigan State. Of course, the incident with Elante Brown was asked about. If you don't know what I'm talking about, I, I don't know how you missed it, but uh, Elante Brown on the opening kickoff of the season, he gets hit, he gets stunned pretty good, he freezes up, he hits the deck, he's carted off the field which is a, usually a great rule of thumb. And hey, maybe this guy should be missing the rest of the game, if not multiple games, because, well, when head injuries happen, that's not good in the year of our Lord 2023. This plays maybe two decades ago before we all knew anything about head injuries and the severity of them and how they are caused and all that fun nature, but no, Elante Brown was back on the field returning the kickoff that same half. Now, he did end the game in street clothes, but tell me how it makes sense. Guy gets hit, freezes up on the field before he even falls to the ground, gets carted off the field, returns a kickoff later in the game, and then ends the game in street clothes. I'm not going to claim I'm a medical professional. I'm the furthest thing from it, quite frankly. I don't know how many other places in the country that is protocol for any injury, let alone a head injury. Tucker was asked about this and said, quote, all those decisions are medical. Tucker said he also had nothing to do with the decision to put Brown back in the game. Well, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a damn shame that you're the head coach. Tucker, uh, this isn't a press conference with some grad assistant who has truly no say in the personnel that goes on the field. No, you you actually do have a say at who's at who goes back into the games. Now, I'm not completely naive here. I know the head coach has a hundred things to worry about, and maybe he let this one fall through the cracks. He didn't know that Elante Brown was being put back out on the field. Maybe that was a Ross Ells decision, the special teams coordinator. Still, it. It ladders up to the CEO, and someone has to be responsible for it. Obviously, the blame is going to go to the medical staff here, according to Mel Tucker, but 
everyone's got to take a little bit of the blame here when it is this bad. And the thing that kind of drove me up a wall about it the most, no, no hold on, hold on, I'm going to check myself. What drove me up a wall about it, the second most on this list, the first being Alante Brown's health, obviously. I just didn't feel like they had to be said, but want to circle the wagons here. The second thing is, we did this to get a guy back on kickoff for a game against Central. I'm not saying it's any better, but if it was like a star player in the fourth quarter of a massive game that you need him, that's still terrible to get him back out on the field, but I can at least see why you would do that. It doesn't make it any better, but let's just be adults about this. That probably would factor into some decision-making if you need that player back out on the field. I don't think we needed Elante Brown back on the field for a game against Central for kickoffs, but yeah, that... That story's not going away. No, it's not just me being all soft and, oh, you're just crying too much. Like, no, there are some national talking heads out there, some neurosurgeons, some people that actually have degrees in this field that are speaking about how terrible that was. But, man, it, it was our medical staff. Well, get a new medical staff then because that, that optically... Was horrible. That that that's not good. Anyway, all right, gang. We will be back with one more snippet, and we're going to talk about our favorite seminal here in a hot segment. But first, get ready for the NFL season with incredible offers from FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. I did my best to put a dent in FanDuel this weekend. Had a parlay of Minnesota money line, Utah money line, Malik Carr any time touchdown. Gave some of it back in the uh, LSU game last night, but that's okay. We are still having a great time with FanDuel, and you can have a great time too because right now, new customers can bet $5 and get $200 in bonus bets guaranteed. Plus, all customers who bet $5 will get $100 off NFL Sunday ticket from YouTube and YouTube TV. Go check it out. Hey, they got a no-sweat first bet for the NFL season coming up. Kicking off Thursday, go Lions, by the way. Now is the best time to join FanDuel, guys and gals. The app is super easy to use, and you could bet on everything from spreads, player props. Do the same game parlays. Just have yourself a good time. Go visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn and kick off the NFL season with an offer you will not want to miss. It's FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. All right. I told myself I wasn't going to do this this year. Uh, and by this, I mean, talk about Keon Coleman, Peyton Thorne, uh, Eli Collins, which, by the way, uh, he led Oklahoma State in carries. He had eight carries. He had a touchdown. Good for him. Not who we're going to talk about this segment, though. Uh, I said that we were not going to talk about Keon Coleman. Uh, they're gone. All right? They're 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 no longer Spartans. This is locked on Spartans, not locked on Seminoles, not locked on Auburn, although those guys do incredible work at their stations. Um... And then I'm watching the game Sunday night because that's the only game on. I'm never going to go seek out a Florida State game or an Auburn game. But when it's the game of the weekend, Florida State at LSU, you're damn right I'm going to be sitting down and watching that. Keon Coleman, one touchdown. I'm like, okay, he's probably going to have double-digit touchdowns this year. Who cares? Like, it is what it is. The second touchdown happens, it's like, okay, now people online are starting to, you know, perk up a little bit. We're starting to have a dialogue here. Whatever. Odds are he was going to have at least one multi-touchdown game this year for Florida State. And then, God bless America, he has a third touchdown in the game. And all three touchdowns looked like NFL plays. Just catching the ball and just running like a gazelle to the end zone. Mossing someone in the end zone as well. Making big NFL catches. And it's like, well, son of a... 
we're going to have to talk about it because what was all the talk on MSU Twitter on Sunday night? It, it, it was Neon Keon Coleman, and Mel Tucker spoke about this as well. Quote, I was happy for Keon last night. He did a nice job. And also, quote, I'm always pulling for him. Well, that, that makes at least one of us, Mel. Um, I was interested to see how I was going to feel watching Keon Coleman, and, man, that first touchdown, okay, you know, good for him. That second touchdown, well, what the hell? That this this actually sucks right now. Now I'm not a monster. I hope he does have you know a fine year. I hope he goes off to the NFL and lives off his dreams. And by all accounts, nice kid here in East Lansing. But yeah, as a state fan, you you best believe I am a little salty seeing that. Now there was so much. So many angles taken on MSU Twitter, like who to blame for him leaving, or oh, what this team could be with him. It's safe to say Michigan State would be a better team with Keon Coleman. How about that for hard-hitting analysis right there? But there was some blame being put on guys like Jay Johnson or just MSU for not keeping him in the program. And we've talked about this during the offseason, and I'll just reiterate it right here. Based on what I know from a few different sources in the know, this isn't just one person who knows someone who cleans the towels at the football facility. Like, no, Michigan State had an offer, NIL offer on the table that was either matching or above Florida State's offer. Eventually, you just don't want to be here anymore, right? And that is exactly what happened. Now, unfortunately, this is what twisted the knife on Sunday night. And I'm not going to let it come from my mouth because I want you guys to like me still. I don't want anyone to be upset at me. So we're going to go to Colton Pouncey. All right, he did great work for Michigan State's beat when he wrote here for The Athletic. He has since moved on to covering the Lions. He talked about Keon Coleman on Sunday night on Twitter and said, I mean, yeah, he 100% made the right call leaving. And I think that's what really stunned, at least me, maybe you. That's what made us the most upset on Sunday is the realization that, yes, son of a gun, that's, that, was, that was actually the right, that was, that was the right call for Keon Coleman, unfortunately. Uh, go to a top 10 team where they have an offense that really suits your game with a proven quarterback that you know is already off the bat going to be in the Heisman conversation and got to keep having games like that and maybe you could have that as well and also compete for a college football playoff berth. I mean, get yourself nationally known instead of just staying here in East Lansing and competing for a Music City Bowl bid. Uh, guys, I don't want to say it. I, that that makes me very sad to say, and I know that you guys don't want to hear that. I could already hear you guys thumbs downing this video right now. Um, please still leave a five-star rating, though. That'd be awesome. Uh, but it, that, that made things even worse. It's that, like, you saw why he left here. And that, that, that was really the kick in the nads uh, right after that. Now, there are some that are out there saying, like, how could the coaching staff let him leave? Maybe it wasn't even NIL because, well, very clearly, I don't think it was based on everything that we know. Michigan State had the best NIL offer on the table. How could the staff let him go? Or, oh, Jay Johnson looks terrible for doing this. Um, hey, Keon wanted to be told that he was going to be the center point of this offense, or maybe he left because he felt like he wasn't going to be the focal point of this offense because the coaching staff couldn't promise that to him. Let's just like use our heads then for that. I, look, if, if Keon didn't know that a year removed from getting the most targets in the offense last year, which he did, if he didn't know that he was going to be the focal point of this offense, 
that's just kind of on him, right? Like, he, he was going to probably get 200 targets. And I don't even know if that's an exaggerated number. That could very well be close to the real number that he would have looked at this year. But I, I don't think there's anything that Jay Johnson really could have done, guys. I mean, could he said verbally, hey, we're going to throw you the ball a lot. Yeah, but that, that should have just been known. I mean, that has to have been known. So I don't... Guys, sometimes it, it, just, it, it just is what it is sometimes, and I, I fear that that's the situation we've got ourselves in here. Now, I really hope this is the last time we're going to talk about Keon Coleman because, I, quite frankly, I'm as tired of talking about it as you guys are hearing about it. But after three touchdowns on national television, and that's kind of consuming all the space amongst uh, conversations amongst Michigan State fans, I yeah, we, we got to talk about it. So, uh, again, hopefully the next time we talk about him is either never or it's after another three-touchdown performance, this time against Michigan in the college football playoff. We'll see. Um, it is what it is. It is what it is. But, hey, you know what? We can hang our hats on that. If not for nothing, I, Tyrell Henry, Jerron Glover, Chris Fitzpatrick, like they're, they're looking solid right now. Not quite like Keon Coleman status, but phew, Courtney Hawkins is doing some great things in that receiver room with these very unheralded guys on the recruiting trail. So I, I'm still feeling okay about Michigan State's passing game for now. But, yes, thanks for letting me just banter about that, guys. And thanks for listening and watching, as always. You guys are truly the best. We do have some episodes coming up with the guests that I think you're going to enjoy. I really hope. I guess that's going to be for you to decide. I guess you'll just have to listen to the next few episodes here of Locked on Spartans to judge for yourself. But until then, gang, I love you all. Let's go have a great week. Go Green!